1: To the Girl Techno Podcast, I'm your host Shawnee Sanders, and today I have with me Bethany Corbin. She is a health innovator. She also is a lawyer, and she is the founder of Fem Innovation, which is a first, which is the first law firm dedicated exclusively to serving women health innovators. Bethany, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you for coming. This is going to be a good conversation. I'm always interested in like. Femtech, the new word for me, which is all about women's health and stuff like that, because I have an interview of women around like menopause and talking about menopause and just talk about I interview another. Um, he's a doctor and he does like midwives and he helped with home births and stuff like that. And we talked about the systemic racism when it comes to black maternal health. So I'm excited to talk about whatever new innovation in this space is happening. And so that my audience can kind of be educated on it. Oh, Absolutely. So- yeah, but before we jump into that, I like to get the story behind the brand. So tell me what inspired you to start Fem Innovation.
0: Yeah, it's been a long journey, and I think I think that's one of the key points I want to communicate is I didn't mm. start here, um, and it's yes. very very tempting, right? You go on social media, you see other people's journeys, and you think, "Wow, I want to be there." I'm nowhere near yeah, that yet. Yeah. It's never going to happen. Um, no, yeah, true. So I actually started my journey as a lawyer in financial services, litigation, and appellate law, none of oh. which I do today. All of which <laughs> I absolutely hated. Um, I am not yeah. the kind of person who wants to go and do law and order type cross examination. <laughs> I love law and order.
1: It's one of my favorite shows. That
0: that way. <laughs> I I really like collaboration, you know, so for me, things mm-hmm. like compliance work, transactional work um behind the scenes work was something I was very interested in, and mm-hmm. so when I realized I absolutely hated what I was doing as a young lawyer, I started to think, Well, what am I passionate about, yeah, and when I really dug deep. I realized I was really interested in healthcare law. My mom had had an illness since I was a child, and mm-hmm. as a result, we spent seven, eight years dealing with the healthcare system, having to deal with gaslighting oh, yeah. writing of her symptoms. Um, we had to end up we ended up going to Mayo Clinic to get her diagnosed finally. Um, so that mm-hmm. has been kind of a constant in my life, and so I decided, yeah, I want to do healthcare law. And I had been out of law school maybe about four years by the time I got really interested in healthcare. And I can tell yeah. you, nobody wanted to hire me in healthcare law because I'd never done healthcare law. And that was wow. really Yeah. So yeah. I had to do a healthcare LLM. And get that background while working full time. Ended up going into a Washington, D.C. firm, doing a lot of healthcare work, was very satisfied with what I did. And then I moved into academia, which, to be honest, I thought mm. was my dream job. I said, this is where I'm going to mm. end up, right? This is where I want to be. And during that time, it was around 2018, I came across this word, femtech. And I had Mm. never heard of it before. It had actually only been coined back in 2016. And so I I thought- I didn't around that long. (laughs) Not that long at all. And I was very interested in it. I started digging into it and I realized nobody in the law field was talking about it. Mm. So I did some more research, Mm -hmm. built my own scholarship in it. And then very unexpectedly, I thought, you know, maybe I wanna go back into practice. Maybe I wanna help these entrepreneurs. Went back into private practice. And as luck would have it, had my own women's health issue occur very unexpectedly, Mm. got diagnosed during a routine physical exam. um, Mm -hmm. And I started to do more and more research on my own health. And I realized that the condition I had, 80% of women could potentially have it. And yet Mm -hmm. our, our, our symptoms, our disease, all of that was being ignored. We hadn't had a lot of innovation in this space in a while. And that really drove me to want to go and help female entrepreneurs in the women's health space specifically um, so that yeah. was kind of kind of my journey all of it kind of led up to this um, which has been the launch of fem innovation which is not only a platform for founders to get the legal and the business advice they need but also mm-hmm. the general public to have these educational conversations about women's health illnesses which we typically don't have in public
1: yeah you know what's so funny I. Uh- you know, after interviewing certain people, over, like I said, around menopause and black maternal health, it's yeah. so strange to me. I even dealt with a woman around vaginal health and products that they um that they produce around vaginal health, and it's just so yes. funny to me how we're still behind when it comes to women's health. And you would think so that we would be so much further ahead. But we're still so far behind. And it so, um, just so happened I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 20, at the end of 2021. And it was very early detection. So thank God I was able to have a breast. I had gotten breast reduction. And that's how they found out that I had breast cancer. Oh, wow. And before that, I didn't even know. I had just did my routine mammogram and it didn't pick it up. And I was like, if I would have never got this reduction. I would have never knew. So you're right. Women's health is so important. And you're right. When you go through your own medical thing, you get so in tune with your body and want to know about your health, want to know what's going on with you and want to try to educate everyone else. So I think it's a really awesome space to be in.
0: It's so interesting that you mentioned that, right? Because as women, a lot of us can kind of put aside our fears. We say, Oh, that's a symptom that mm-hmm. I don't want to bother anybody with that. Right. I don't want to bother yeah. my doctor that that's normal. And that's honestly what I had done. I didn't have a ton of symptoms with, with my illness. I had mm-hmm. uterine fibroids. Um, mm-hmm. and I went to the doctor one day, you know, I had just, when I would lay down and do abs on the, on the ground, yeah. I would feel something there. And I thought, hmm, yeah. maybe maybe it's a hernia. You know what I mean? I'm not going to bother anybody. I'll go for my annual physical, I went and my doctor actually asked me if I was pregnant and I, I was like, mm. there, there's no way. And so you kind of laugh it off. You're like, I don't know why she's asking that, but then she pulls out a tape measure. And you're like, well, that can't be good. If she's trying to measure yeah, yeah. On the other side of my body turns out I was the equivalent of five to six months pregnant. That's how large wow. my thyroid was. Um, and MRI showed that it was pressing on my bladder and other organs. Um,
1: Wow and, and
0: and like you right, I, I went for annual physicals, I did everything mm-hmm. I was supposed to do, wasn't caught, and I ended mm-hmm. up having to have a seven hour surgery at Mayo Clinic to get rid of that to get rid of um six other ones that were in there as well um mm-hmm. and, and all because right, I kind of pushed off my symptoms and I thought, yeah, that's normal, right? and And as women, that's what we're taught to do.
1: Yeah. Wow. Wow. You're right. We got to be so, our health is like, we're, we're basically we, we don't have a life when it comes to, without our health. Do you know what no. I mean? Like if you're not in the best space health or health wise, you can't even function properly anywhere else. So no, we have to. that's the
0: thing with women's health. I mean, we were excluded from clinical trials until 1993. Yes.
1: That's I could that's not believe you. that. No, I cannot believe it. When another guest told me that, I said, "Are you serious?" Then that's why they're so behind when it comes to women's health. Right, and you think, okay, 1993.
0: Maybe we've had a couple, you know, a couple decades at least of gathering women's health data. But no, because you look at the reports that have come out from like the GAO and others, and it shows that really, really 2016 is kind of when they've started mandating. That women's health um, and that, like sex as a biological variable, actually be considered yeah. in NIH-funded research and grants. So we we have such a dearth of
1: women's health data right now. Oh my God. Let me ask you this. Did you always know because you was in this great job making this great salary and you decided to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to take that leap. I found something i really passionate about and I'm going to pursue this. Did you always see yourself doing some, being an entrepreneur? Or did you think that you'll kind of be you know, the corporate girl forever? Basically, <laughs> it's kind of how we all go into it. <laughs> I never thought I
0: would be an entrepreneur. I grew up as one of those people who liked having a safety net, right? So having yeah. that wonderfully financially stable job um, was something I prized. Um, And it was something Mm -hmm. that gave me a lot of, you know, kind of relief in my life. I didn't have to think about it. And for me, I I really realized that fear was what was holding me back and kind of keeping me in that corporate job because Mm -hmm. corporate law was never something I wanted. It was never what I was interested in. I never really wanted to be a partner, but it's the way that my career you know, my career trajectory just went because I allowed my career to happen to me instead of Mm -hmm. actually taking control and moving past that fear to say, no, this is, this is what I want. This is where I can make a difference. Taking that leap, incredibly scary. I have to say watching your salary go down at first, (laughs) incredibly nerve wracking, But, but the, you know, the fulfillment that I get out of this and the impact that I know that I can make on women's health, that's really what keeps me going.
1: Yeah, I mean, you said something that's key. Fear holds us back from doing almost anything that we want to yeah. do because we're so afraid that what if it doesn't work out? I feel like we never think about well, what if it does. Right. <laughs> we never see right. that. Why is that? <laughs> it's so
0: crazy, right? We always think in the negative, and I I feel like that's kind of how our brains are wired. They're wired yeah. for safety and to make sure that we are going to have you know a stable, secure life. You know we've pre, Mm -hmm. you know, the prehistoric links to fear and all of that kind of keep us safe. Um, And and that I think is what also keeps a lot of us from reaching our full potential because it's comfortable, you know, safe is comfortable. We don't have to deal with the uncomfortable feelings of fear. We were able to have a good, meaningful life, but there's so much more. And I think, I think sometimes it can be You know, feel a little bit like you're almost daring to dream and daring to push the boundaries to want more. Yes, and that that can stop a lot of us from doing it. And I think part of it too is, especially for women, sometimes we just feel like we're not entitled to that, right? Yeah, it would be great if this works out, but we're never going to get there. Um, and mm-hmm. and so many times I talked to women and other entrepreneurs who had the same mentality, and then something happened to them, and they just couldn't ignore that fear anymore. And they had to go and do this. And they've been wildly successful.
1: Yeah, you know what it is? And it's that thing. So lately, I've been very much so in like affirmations, laws of attraction, um, yeah. meditation and stuff like that. And I know that I have to start speaking more positively about me, my path and what I want to do. And I think as female, as women, we tend to judge ourselves and beat ourselves up so bad. You know what yeah. I mean? And we don't go after the things we want simply because we are afraid that we won't make it. You know, mm-hmm. someone said something to me on on a podcast, on one of the episodes. And she said that I think she was in, she's in one of these top real estate firms in Colorado. And she said, you know, men were, men are now making space for us. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And we as women now have to step up into it and not be afraid to do it because now they're making space for us to be in leadership and things like that. And, you know, and it just dawned and it just really resonated with me because I felt like as entrepreneurs, we're so afraid to just step up in it. You know what I mean? Because there is a space for us, but we're so afraid that we might not make it, that we won't step into it. We'll rather kind of pull back and just like depend on that safety net, like you said,
0: (laughs) Well exactly
1: and and we're content
0: to let others lights shine brighter than ours because we don't mm-hmm. think that we can reach our full potential when in fact yeah. each one of us could be doing the life that we have always dreamed of we have to be prepared that mm-hmm. it's not going to work out right because you yeah. know sometimes it's just not but guess what for me the um the fear of it not working out that's fine. I can handle that. I can't live with the fear that I never tried. And I really could have achieved that. And I didn't and I settled that to me is much more scary and fearful than going trying and actually failing.
1: Yeah, I I think you said something that's that's also pivotal is that I think we have to understand we have to get better with the fear of something not working out. You yes. know what I mean? Like we have to figure out a way to manage that better and still push past that to work through it, to still pursue your dreams. We still have to, you know, we have that fear like, oh, what if it doesn't work? I don't have enough money to save this, whatever it may be, but we still should yeah. do it anyway. in spite of
0: <laughs> Right. And you have the fear, you know, oh my gosh, I'm going to be judged for this. You know, yeah. all of that mm-hmm. didn't work out. Um, it was funny. I was talking to, there's a, a very influential woman in FemTech. And she and I had some conversations, you know, about a year ago. And she was telling me, like, this was her third or fourth venture. You know what I mean? She had tried things that had failed. And now she's one of the top names in fentech. Um, so, So I always think, too, okay, if something doesn't work out the way that we thought it was going to, it doesn't mean that we've necessarily failed. Means maybe that's not where we're supposed to be right now. Maybe mm-hmm. we're being pushed in a different direction that's actually going to be much more meaningful. And I can tell you from from my perspective in my life, I really thought being a law professor was going to be my mm-hmm. be all end all. Right? That that was yeah work. Nice yeah. And I applied and I applied and I applied. And for the life of me, no matter what I did, I could not get a tenure track law professor position. Um, I ended wow. up you know, being a director of one of the legal programs at a law school, being you know, an assistant, assistant professor who was doing you know, kind of contract adjunct work, all of the things that tenure track professors do. I did more than they did. And yet I could never get that title. But if I had gotten it, I can tell you, I would mm-hmm. 100% never have left. I never would have come into FemTech. I never would have founded yeah. FemTech. And, and this is really where I'm supposed to be. This is the space that I was meant to be in. And, and so mm-hmm. I can say, you know, things not working out. Yeah, it's, it absolutely sucked at the time. I can tell you there were many nights I cried about not getting things. Um, yeah. But I'm happy now that they didn't work out.
1: Yeah. I always tell people, one thing I know I can depend on me You know what I mean? Like I know I will show up for me and I can depend on me and I will work hard to get it done.
0: (laughs) And that's all you need, really, is you need your motivation, your drive, you know, your vision and you. And if you know that you can put in the work, you'll get to where you have to go. You just you just have to be willing to take that initial leap.
1: Yeah, you do. How has the journey been for you when you first started? Was it like, okay, how am I gonna get clients now? It was. So how how has it been? (laughs) You
0: know, it it definitely was, and I can tell you back whenever I was working in corporate law, I wasn't really responsible for getting clients, so that wasn't a skill Mm -hmm. that I had built up. And I was like, suddenly, I'll go run my own firm. Um, (laughs) Not at all. I actually didn't start getting my first clients until I worked at a much smaller law firm in the digital health space, and Mm -hmm. I had to take um, several months off due to a health issue. And I had always yeah. planned on going back to that firm. And I th- was trying to find ways, you know, to make, um, you know, a difference during my time off different things I could do. And, and it just fell through with me going back to the other firm. And I was mm-hmm. really devastated at the time uh, that, that it had fallen through. Cause that was my quote unquote security blanket, right? That was always yeah. going to be yep. my, my safety, my financial security. And when that fell through, I really stopped and I thought, well, okay, that's not where I'm meant to be. I meant yeah. to do something else. What is it? Well, maybe I could build this platform. Maybe I could build this firm, this consulting firm, this you know educational vehicle, and make a difference that way. And so it was very nerve wracking because I had only just started to learn how to actually get clients uh, before I had yeah. to take time off for my health, and now. You know, there's always the fear of okay, how am I going to make up the money that I spent to get this venture off the ground? That's kind yeah. of the, the main goal that I had was I don't I don't even need to make money. I just want to remake what I've spent, what I put in. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But but I can tell you the opportunities that I've gotten and the support that I've received has been tremendous. Um, and I've wow. I've made more clients on my own than I ever did when I was affiliated with a law firm. Part of it, I think, is the flexibility of you know being able to offer them rates that are competitive and that I feel are fair, yeah. um, not mm-hmm. those huge corporate rates of like a thousand dollars an hour, yeah. especially yeah. when you work yeah. with startups. Um, but also, just there's there's a different mentality too of putting yourself out there when you have your own venture, and I've struggled mm-hmm. a bit with that, but. I've had to, I've had to kind of get comfortable with it, and so I've, I've had to actively go and build my network and make sure that I'm making the connections that are going to be meaningful. And I'll tell you, a lot of times I shoot way above my pay grade and my, <laughs> and my boxing belt. You know? <laughs> I will reach out um, and try to connect with founders who are running multi-billion-dollar businesses or multi-million-dollar <laughs> businesses in, in Women's Health. What's yeah. the worst you can say? They could say, eh, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> you exactly. To yeah. of the time, I get a response. And I've made that connection. And I'm able to then have that person in my network, who can, you know, not only serve as a referral source, but I can kind of rely on them to show me the way right or see what's new in the women's health industry. And that's been tremendous, too.
1: But a lot, a lot that of is so there. awesome. <laughs> I know. I just about to say, what kind? What did it like? How did you move past that fear? Because some people are afraid to to talk to people, right? Some people are oh, afraid to be public speakers. <laughs> I know. Some people are afraid to be public speakers. Some people are just afraid to try to like come off as too salesy. Like, yeah. how did you? What mindset did you have to have, or either try to have to develop in order to go into this space?
0: Yeah, there were there were at least three different ways that I had to push past fear. The first Mm -hmm. one was whenever I had my uterine fibroid diagnosis. Um, Mm -hmm. That was the first time I ever realized that I was truly walking a journey alone. And no matter Mm. how many people were there to support me, no matter how many friends, family members I had checking in on me, nobody was there in the dark hours of the night when I was thinking about my treatment plans or how I was going to handle this. And that I realized was my own fear holding me back because I would, I would get in these fear and anxiety spirals. And I would think, you know what, this is it. This is, there's nothing better than this. And what happened was I got comfortable with that fear. And I finally said, and embraced it. And I said, you know what? Yeah, I am alone. Absolutely. A hundred percent walking this journey alone. I am Mm -hmm. afraid but I'm going to push past it. I'm going to actually find a way to make this something positive and give myself something to look forward to. And so that was kind of the first time I I thought, yeah, I'm going to push past my safety net. I'm going to push past having that corporate job and I'm going to go and chase something that can make a difference. Then I had to get past the, the more traditional fears that we have, which are things like talking to people, Doing sales, yeah. um, you know. D- despite what you what, what I may convey here, I, I think I'm actually one of those people who's an introvert, um, which nobody <laughs> who knew me back in the day would ever think was possible. But
1: I have to think so because like, you're
0: very open, and right? Easy to talk I to. Hate, <laughs> I hate talking on the phone. You know what I mean? When when people call or I have to call people, I kind of cringe or right? I'm like, oh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to sound mm-hmm. salesy. I don't want to have yeah. to pitch myself and promote myself. I want that organic growth. And so for me, I had to find a way that I could be comfortable having those conversations within my own boundaries. So I am still Mm -hmm. not that person who will go up to somebody and say, hey, come, come take my course, come buy my product, right? Because that to me is (laughs) kind of cringeworthy. But I'll say, hey, I like what you're doing. I think we have synergies. Can we talk about how we might collaborate? And then Mm -hmm. I'll, you know, I'll learn more about what they do. I'll tell them a little bit about what I do. 80, 85% of the time there's gonna be some type of overlap. they will say, yeah, I'll put your product on my website or I'll pitch your product in my newsletter or to my group. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll kind of have a synergy there. And that to me is yeah. more meaningful than actually just coming out with like a sales pitch. But I've had to yeah. do that and, and kind of find that balance because I do absolutely hate selling things, even you know, selling myself, selling my brand. Um, that's yeah, really no. <laughs> and so I think one it of the is. ways to really do it is to say, yeah. I'm embracing my fear. I'm going to push past it to a certain extent, but I'm still going to do it in a way that's true to me.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like that. You do have to push past it. I mean, what else can you do? Like you said, talking to people and even doing this podcast, but I've been in radio for a while, but still it's like, you still have to push past of like, okay, I got to interview someone. I got to talk about this. I got to talk about that. So (laughs) you still have to to do it no matter what. Even if you're scared. I I mean,
0: yesterday even I was like, Oh, there's this networking platform for a conference. I'm going to, there's at least 50 people there. I want to speak to none of mm-hmm. them. I know. And so I had to, <laughs> I mean? like, to come up with a way to say, okay, what, what how am I going to reach out to them on this platform? What am I going to say? Yeah. This is really awkward and I hate it, but I'm going to force myself to do 10 a day or five a day. Mm-hmm. Um, And I can tell you, the response has been great. You know, I think we build fear up so much in our head as well for how people will perceive us. And for me, I always try to think, I'm like, what is the worst outcome they can do? They can say, no, I have no interest in meeting you. I have no interest in talking to you. I think you're a wacko. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's cool. We don't have to ever see each other again. You know what I mean? Maybe maybe you're the one person who said no. And I got to meet nine other really cool people who I think can Mm -hmm. elevate my platform.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's, that's a good attitude. Did you ever have to deal with imposter syndrome? Did it ever sneak up on you? All the time. (laughs) Right here, right now. I can tell you, I'm still doing with it. (laughs) Yeah. I, there
0: are so many times where I feel like I don't know what I'm doing, even though Mm I, you know, I've got a decade of experience. I clearly do know what Mm -hmm. I'm doing in certain areas. Yeah. Yeah. But, But yeah, I always, I always feel like I am pretending to be somebody else because, and I think it goes back again to, we don't feel like we deserve this. And so yeah. we feel like we're an imposter because we think, okay, this was meant for somebody else. So this wasn't meant for me. And so for mm-hmm. me, kind of having to grapple with that has been hard. And it's, it's hard too, especially when you see other people um, within, you know, the same industry as you doing things that might be, you know, a year or two away from where you are, but you're seeing them yeah. be really successful. And you think, oh gosh, right. They are the ones who deserve yep. this. I do not deserve this. Yeah. I had have, I have that exact experience today um, where I saw yeah. somebody, you know, from my network, great person who was like on a top 30 list. And I'm like, gosh, why am I even trying? <laughs> you know, what I mean? <laughs> like, why, why am I trying? Clearly here's somebody who's figured it out. Clearly I'm just trying to be like her. Um, yeah. and, I, and I had to, you know, take time and give my own self a pep talk and say, you know, here's mm-hmm. the ways that we're different. Here's the ways that I'm contributing person has been in the industry five years longer than you. Here's everything you've accomplished. Here's how you've become a thought leader in just one or two years. Um, And that has been been very powerful. Thinking back on when you wanted what you had today, that is Mm -hmm. something that I find keeps me motivated and keeps me feeling like I'm not an imposter because I have made significant progress. Um, And I think just reminding yourself, that you, you do deserve this, right? You're not an imposter. You have a very unique set of skills that nobody else in your industry has. Nobody else is you. And so leaning into that and embracing
1: that, um, is, was one of the ways I get through imposter syndrome, but it comes (laughs) on all the time. (laughs) I know it comes on for everyone. And I'm like, you know what, you got to hype yourself up sometimes. I remember I was on a, I was doing a talk with someone. What was it? It was on, um, God, what's that audio platform? I can't believe I can't think of it right now. It's a huge audio platform that everybody uses and I can't even think of it right now. Clubhouse. And oh, I was yeah. on a, a stage at Clubhouse and all these people were talking and it was so knowledgeable. And I just, and the imposter syndrome hit me so hard when I was there. I was on there like, okay, I think I need to get off here because I'm about to sound really stupid with all these people who seem to be so much more knowledgeable. then I had to hype myself and like, you know what? No, you've been doing it for a long time. You have a history, you have a background, you have years mm-hmm. of experience. You know what you're talking about as well. You know what I mean? You deserve to be on here. So you're right. It it hit all of us at any time. And we have to remember and pat ourselves on the back and remember the things that we've accomplished.
0: Exactly. Because I can tell you two, three years ago today, I was not, I would like somebody would say my name and you'd be like, I have no clue who that is. Like that person is not even in this industry. Right. Now, now I have, you know, you Google me and, you know, articles come up that I've written, right. Or I've been on podcasts Mm -hmm. or quoted in things. And that's just been over a two to three year time frame. Um, yeah. So things, you know, if I keep going, where am I going to be in another two to three years? Maybe I will exactly. finally hit that top thirty list, right? Or be invited mm-hmm. to that conference that I got rejected from last year that somebody else is, you know, taking my place in right now. Um, yeah. I think it's hard to kind of balance your ambition with how long it actually takes to to achieve the results. And I mm-hmm. think that's where a lot of people decide to bow out. Honestly, um, they they don't get there fast enough. And so they think they're not worth it or that they're never going to get there. And it just, it just takes time and it just takes consistently showing up. My motto is kind of, even if I'm having a horrible day, even if I feel like an absolute imposter, what is Mm -hmm. one thing, just one thing that I can do to enhance my brand or my company today? One thing, is it making one connection? Is it reaching out to one Mm -hmm. person on LinkedIn? Maybe that's Mm -hmm. all that I have the energy for today because it's a bad day. I still yeah. do that. And I'm, and all of those little micro actions add up so quickly. And then, you know, six months, a year from now, you look back and, and think about what, what you wanted a year ago and wh- how you achieved it right then and there.
1: Yeah, you're right. Those little micro moments do add up. They really do. And being able to push it, no matter if you have good days, bad days, still being able to get up and do something because you're right, consistency is the key to everything that we do. If you want to grow a brand, you want to build a business, you have to be consistent. So let me ask you, when a company comes to you, a tech company comes to you, what stage are they at in there? I know they're in a startup stage, but what, when is it time to bring on that legal advice in a company? Is it at the beginning, yeah. the middle? When do you think is the Fantastic best time? Fantastic
0: question. So I always recommend at least having a conversation with a lawyer, even if you haven't formed a company yet,
1: um, because okay. what they
0: can do is they can kind of give you a little bit of guidance and make sure you're at least going to form the right company or that you've thought about things like your trademark or what your, your company mm-hmm. name is going to be. It, it seems like it's so simple, right? Like, yeah, I'm going to name it X, Y, Z, and that's going to be completely yeah. fine. But maybe you're accidentally infringing on somebody else's trademark or, you know, somebody else already has a business name that's similar to yours in the jurisdiction you're looking to incorporate in. So while Mm -hmm. you don't need a ton of legal advice um, at the early, early stage, I recommend just having, you know, a 20, 30 minute conversation with a lawyer because they can kind of point out all of those different things. And you can start to think, okay, yeah, okay, I need to look at this. I need to look at this. Um, Mm -hmm. The other thing, too, it depends on what type of company you want to be. So if you're a company that thinks, I want to have investors, right? I want to have investors. I want to make a lot of money. You're going to need a different corporate structure than if you're somebody who's like, you know what? I just want to provide some legal services through an LLC in one state. Completely different venture. Um, And so I see a lot of times, especially tech companies, choosing a corporate structure um, in a jurisdiction that's not going to be conducive for investment and then having to kind of redo it, uh, which costs Mm. more money, obviously, to to have to redo it
1: Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.
0: About it before you start. Then thing too, a lot of time I see early stage companies where they've started their company, right? Maybe they've got a minimum viable business product that they're ready to go with. That's absolutely a time you're going to want to bring in a lawyer because you're going to be thinking about things like marketing. And there are some fun Mm -hmm. legal things you need to think about for marketing. Your privacy policy, (laughs) right? Or your website terms of use. Those have some requirements and I... I'm a privacy attorney, so I can't tell you the number of times I see tech companies copy and paste from competitors in a way that makes absolutely no sense for their own privacy policies <laughs> in terms of use. Um, so that's kind of when I would start in, involving a lawyer more frequently. Um, it may not mm-hmm. be something, right, where you have tons of projects for the lawyer at that early stage, but at least you've got somebody that you can turn to and maybe do a strategy session once a month or get their in, advice on those key documents. And then once you're mm-hmm. kind of in that, that mid growth stage, you're going to have a pretty consistent relationship with an attorney going on. And I recommend that they have access to kind of like your, um, your C-suite, right. Or your, your CEO mm-hmm. to make sure that they're, you know, almost, even if you don't have an in-house attorney that you've got some type of a fractional general counsel, at least on the outside yeah. um, that can issue spot for
1: you. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. Every time I think about corporations, I remember we like to get so confused with C corp, S corp. And you always want like, well, what is the difference anyway? You know, you just, you never really know because you're thinking like, I don't know what the S and the C means exactly. Yeah, and and it can be different. Like right? all the different corporate yeah. structures
0: that you have have different tax implications and different protections. Um, so you know, C corp and S corps their main difference is going to be in how how the you know profits and all of that are taxed. Is it taxed through tax? Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, pass through taxation, or are you kind of getting that double corporate tax? Um, that's kind of the main thing when you make the C corp, S corp election. Um, you have LLCs, right, which are gonna, you know, offer some protection, but obviously not be as robust as a corporation. You also have things like partnerships, right, which aren't really going to offer any type of protection to you um, as an individual whenever you're kind of the head of of that partnership. So there's a lot of things to think about there um, just in terms of the types of protection you want, the taxation implications you want, obviously filing fees, uh, those types of
1: fun things,
0: Um, you know, (laughs) the annual reports, so many fun things on the corporate side.
1: it is. When it comes to the terms, let me say, I know that probably have to be the least thing most people talk about or want to do is those terms of use, the privacy piece of it on the website. Because I'm thinking when you said it, I'm like, I'm I'm thinking about my podcast. I'm like, do I have that on my website for my podcast? It's like almost the thing. Is it probably that thing most of people, most of your clients probably like, ah, you know what? Yeah, I forgot we do need to do that. Yeah. And it's
0: it's funny (laughs) that you say that, right? Because it's the thing that like everybody needs and nobody ever reads. You know, you know what I mean? Uh, so like you have to have it. It has to be clear. It can't be deceptive. It has to accurately describe what you're doing. And yet yeah. like 0. 0.001% of the population is ever going to click on that link and read it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an attorney and I don't read them. You know what I mean? For the apps and, and the products that I use, I don't read them. Yeah. I know that's terrible. But I read some statistic that if you read... Every privacy policy for every app or platform you ever use is going to take seven years off your life. Oh like, my god! I, what oh have god, no! To do with seven years of mm. my time. No, I got, I got more things to do. Out of time for right. <laughs> right, and and to be honest, you know, I think it kind of goes back to we have a privacy structure in the U.S. that mm-hmm. isn't necessarily conducive to consumer rights for their data and that type of yeah. thing. And so we place this burden on the consumers to read through these lengthy privacy policies and on corporations to create them. And I don't Mm -hmm. know that it necessarily has a meaningful impact if we think about it from a practical perspective
1: yeah yeah that's true so let me ask you this when it comes to the fintech industry where do you see the most innovation you know because i know health is different as women's is breast you know is breast cancer it's all types of different health out there you know health buckets that is i'm trying to figure out the right word to use but where do you see the most innovation at
0: yeah so i would say that To date, the femtech industry is heavily dominated by things related to reproductive health, right? So your menstruation, Mm. you know, period cycles, fertility, ovulation, um, and maternal health care. Those have Mm -hmm. kind of been the three biggest buckets to date that have gotten the most digital health funding for women's health. That said, we're starting to see a shift now, especially into things like menopause. Um, menopause is yeah. just having a huge boom right now. Um, since it since really kind of Q3, is. Q4 2022, we've really started to see funding and attention going to menopause. Um, we're also starting to see kind of a push into longevity. Um, not as much mm-hmm. as we've seen with menopause, but there are some new solutions coming to the market for longevity. What excites me most is seeing the things like the breast cancer detection or cervical Mm -hmm. cancer detection, ovarian cancer detection, those more chronic illnesses for women. Mm -hmm. Those are coming, but they're taking longer. And the reason for that is because they have a much lengthier time period because they're going to have to go through more robust FDA testing and clinical trials than things like a period tracking app, which is usually subject to FDA enforcement discretion, meaning it doesn't have to go through clinical trials, right? It doesn't have to prove that it's 99% accurate, right? Anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's taking a lot more time. It can typically take like, two, three years for these products after they're built and already done with the research and development phase going through that FDA approval. So we do have some really cool products that are in that pipeline right now. And I think over the next couple of years, we'll see those come out. Um, But with Femtech in general, you know... There's kind of been a conflation still with women's health being limited to reproductive health. And that's yeah. why we've partly seen those solutions be so heavily tailored towards reproductive health. And that's something that I and others in the industry are really pushing to move away from uh, because we don't want mm-hmm. women's health to just be seen as our reproductive organs. We're so much yeah. more, right? We do heart attacks differently, we do strokes differently, you yes. know, very common illnesses and, and diseases. We manifest differently. And so that mm-hmm. I think is where the future of FemTech is going to be, but we're not there yet.
1: Yeah. I'm glad they're really focusing on menopause because yeah. it seems like it's so funny. I was just watching um on Netflix Michelle Obama's The Light Recarry tour that she yes. did. And the last stint, her tour, the last night of it she did in LA and Oprah interviewed her. And uh, Oprah talked about and she mentioned how them going through menopause and she said, you know, how mm-hmm. a lot of people don't talk about the big M you know, and they didn't even want to say the word menopause. It was so funny to me. I was like, just say it Oprah, you know, but it's, so it's so funny how menopause is not necessarily talked about publicly like that. I know a lot of people now are coming up and talking about menopause and really trying to bring it more to the forefront, I talk about it more on podcasts. I have two people that I'm interviewing about it also on my podcast, but oh, I don't understand why it's such like a thing that people don't want to talk about. It's a part of our natural health as women and if we can wow. get ahead of it, why not? Right. It's it's a fantastic point, and it's something that we
0: really struggle with, especially in femtech, is the fact that mm-hmm. women's health has for so long been considered taboo and stigmatized. Yeah, so it's never talked mm-hmm. about publicly, and if it is, right, it, there's kind of this shame and this stigma around it that ooh, you sh- you should really keep that for the private home. What that mm-hmm. does, though, is it makes women even uncomfortable talking about their health with their doctors because they've been so yes. ingrained right, that this isn't something we should talk about. This isn't, quote unquote, normal. Uh, and mm-hmm. so for that reason, we have a huge problem getting women to even understand their own bodies and feel comfortable advocating for their own bodies and their own health. Because like you said, we can't even say the word menopause, right? Or menstruation on TV or on, you know, social media platforms. And that's really another thing um, to highlight is the fact, okay, we've got these great femtech products coming on the market, but guess what? The algorithms that Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all of them use it's actually flagging advertisements for women's health yep. products as being mm-hmm. inappropriate right and explicit yep. um and and almost like pornography so there's yep. such a conflation it's between so women's crazy. health and sexual promiscuity that we can't even have discussions online about women's healthcare
1: we can it's so funny i did a show about i told you before um the products are called mometera apotheca and they're all for vaginal health and i couldn't even really promote it on youtube Because, and I can't monetize it on YouTube either simply because vaginal is in it and they flagged it as inappropriate. And I'm like, it's not inappropriate. We're women. We have, we have to know about our vaginal health. It's just a part of life. And if we could talk about it with our younger girls to know what they need to do and understand our bodies, why is it, why is it getting flagged? Why is it considered something you should not talk about?
0: I mean, there was a study that was done by the Center for Intimacy Justice, and they found that almost 100% of women's health companies had their ads or their accounts at some point in time taken down or suspended, Mm -hmm. and that we're now having to use fruit, right, or some other type of inanimate, you know, or animate or inanimate object to try and accurately describe women's anatomically correct body parts. I mean, how much more degrading can it
1: get? (laughs) It's just so strange when I talked to her about that. She's like, yeah, we can't say vova, We can't say mm-hmm. certain words in our advertisement because like you said, it get flat, it get pulled down. She said, so we have a really hard time promoting our products simply because they're for vaginal health. And they're just like packaged yeah. so beautiful and they're wonderful products, all natural, you know? And I was just like, I just thought it was so crazy that they do that when it comes to women's health. And that's why I said, we still have so much further to go. <laughs>
0: We do. Well, and we, when we think about the fact that a lot of the women's health solutions on the market today are direct to consumer instead of business to business solutions, how are, mm-hmm. we, how are we ever going to drive increased adoption of femtech, whose whole point right is to revolutionize the solutions for women's healthcare if we can't even talk about it um, and we can't bring these products to life and women can't have a platform where they can actually go and understand what solutions are out there. Um, it's just, it's yeah. mind boggling to me. But yet all the Viagra commercials, home free.
1: Uh, I see Viagra commercials all the time. Oh. I cannot yeah. believe it. Yeah. You're so right. They're everywhere. They can talk about them. they are ads everywhere. Exactly. Oh my God. That is so, that is biased. Like seriously. Yeah. A hundred percent.
0: And the fact too, oh my with God. Some talk, Another another issue we have, right, is the fact that we think about venture capitalists and who is actually funding these projects, the yeah. majority are male-backed venture capital firms. Well, that's a problem, right? Because oftentimes, whenever you've got a women's health product and you're going to go pitch it, men are like, I don't know what that means, right? I don't know yes. why that's a problem. I don't have that issue. My sister yep. doesn't have that issue. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't feel comfortable talking about this. And mm-hmm. so we we not only have the hurdle, right, that it's very hard to get digital health funding in general. Now you have the added hurdle that we have to go and explain women's bodies to men, why this is important, and make them care about something that they have never experienced. And that is a hard business case to make. And that's why women's funding is so low.
1: I mean, I think yeah.
0: only 4% of like research and development dollars goes to women's
1: health. Oh, wow. It is, that's a low percentage. Yeah, it's bad. Wow. I mean, you know, I feel like overall the healthcare system for women is just like, needs to be so improved. You know what I mean? Maternal health, especially for African American women, needs to be improved drastically, you know, and need to yes. listen to women when they tell you that something is going on with our bodies. You know, like I feel like they don't listen to us when we tell them something's going on with our bodies. We feel like something is off and they just go, oh, no, you just need to take this. You're going to be okay." Yeah. No. I
0: mean, for my mom, my mom has a very rare illness um, in which her potassium shifts out of the blood cells and she will collapse Mm -hmm. and she cannot move. And doctors for years said that's in your head. We don't we don't know what it (laughs) is. So clearly it must be in your head. So the medical Mm -hmm. gaslighting that women experience and Mm. And the fact that their pain is so often dismissed is that's, incredible. That's the hard part. I had that happen yeah. myself after my after my surgery. So I had you know a seven hour myomectomy, which is one of the top ten most painful procedures, and yeah. I got three days, three days of opioids. Three days, <laughs> that was it. I had a male provider. He had a male, you know, intern, etc. We actually had to call and beg for additional days of pain medication. I got two additional days. It was excruciating six week recovery. And when I went and I talked with my female OBGYN back home, she said, you should have had at a minimum one to two full weeks of opioids. And I routinely prescribe a third week because it's so painful. Jesus.
1: We have such a long way to go. We We really do because (laughs) it's just, it's crazy to me. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Where do you want to see women's health go? Where do you want to see fintech go? You Fem-te- know
0: what's interesting? I, I love I love the femtech industry. And mm-hmm. if everything goes well, I would like to see it not exist. And I know that mm. sounds crazy. But I would like to see women's health not be considered a niche area and instead finally be adopted as part of human health and for us to all have access to those solutions. You know, because we don't have something like men tech, right? We don't have to separate out men's health. That's just human health. So I would love for us to be in a world where we don't ever even need the term femtech. And FemTech has been great because it's given us a dialogue, right, and, and a common terminology to use to talk about this. But it mm-hmm. just also shows how far removed women are still from human healthcare and personalized solutions for their own health. So that's where I would love to yeah. see this go.
1: Yeah, that, you know what, that, that's powerful. You're right about that. To see it not even exist as not just taboo. It's something that's normal, standardized, and just the way things should be when it comes to taking women's health seriously. Wow. exactly. It's, you know, it's so much that what other innovation is in this space? Because I know it's a lot more going on in this space. What other innovation they got coming? in? Yeah, we have some we have some incredible things that are in the pipeline. Uh, for
0: instance, I had just learned about um, a, a smart tampon that could actually go in what? and try to detect cervical cancer. Um, we're wow. starting to see um, one company that's really unique in this space that I've been following for a while. Um, it's called AOA. And they are mm-hmm. trying to do a blood test for early stage ovarian cancer detection, right? Because ovarian cancer right now, there's there's no test, there's no real screening yeah. for it. Um and so, yeah, so that has been really cool. Um, on the other side, I've also seen a platform, it's called My UTI, because a lot of mm-hmm. women deal with chronic UTIs. And so yep. rather than just mm-hmm. deal with, you know, oh gosh, I took an at-home UTI that I got off the shelf of Walgreens, right? Or CVS, they actually have a product where you can order it, right. You can kind of have it stored up and you take the test and it will do like personalized recommendations for prescriptions for your exact type of UTI Mm. and kind of try to pinpoint, you know, how you got that UTI, where it's coming from, what bacteria it is, and give you yeah. actionable clinical results that you could go and take to your provider um, and say, hey, like this is saying I should be on this prescription because right, it's saying I have this type of bacteria rather than, yep, my my stick shows that I have a UTI. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm starting to see really cool innovations like that. Um, another mm-hmm. one of my favorites is actually in the menopause space. Um, it's a menopause and longevity platform uh, called Femgevity. Mm-hmm. And they are actually.
1: Oh my god! Building- I'm getting ready to interview their CEO. <laughs> she's it. gonna be on my show. Yeah. <laughs> Which, one? Which one? Yeah, it's um, it's Kristen. Oh yeah, yeah. I, she's I, gonna. She's gonna be on I the show. That. Yeah. That'll be a
0: phenomenal episode. I'll I'll let her talk about her platform, but it is it is so yeah. cool because you actually get personalized recommendations for menopause um and for your longevity health. Um and it's not just like an app, right, or something like that. It's like you actually interact with a healthcare provider. You actually mm-hmm. have those
1: telehealth appointments. Um. So, so I will, I will let her do the rest of that. But it yeah, is I, you know, I, I can't <laughs> wait. I was really excited about talking to her because one, I'm in that menopause range, yeah, and I'm like, I want to get ahead of it. I want to do whatever I need to do. I want to start, you know, prepare myself for what's to come because yeah. I'm, I'm in the range, and I, I just want to do that. So that's so cool. You mentioned her. I can't wait to interview her. They are <laughs> phenomenal. You will love them.
0: I mean so funny because I was going to recommend them to you afterwards uh, if you hadn't connected <laughs> with them. So, yeah. yeah. So they're great. Um, so it's really cool to see kind of that breadth of innovation moving away yeah. from the period tracking apps and things like that. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited for, for where this is going.
1: Yeah. I remember I had that period tracking app and I don't think it did really good, actually. <laughs> it didn't oh, track yes. it really well, to be honest with you. It is funny you mentioned that to. I can't remember the name of it, but um, it just didn't. It. it didn't track really mm-hmm. well. And I felt like it was just off. And I'm like, I'm putting the information, but you're still calculating it wrong.
0: It's so funny that you mentioned that because those types of apps do more harm, in my opinion, for women than good, because Mm -hmm. a lot of them, as I was talking about before, they don't have to meet FDA accuracy standards or anything like that Mm -hmm. because they're skirting by. So there have been studies that show uh, that those apps um, for, for menstruation tracking are typically not accurate, that they're built on scientific and medical practices that have been like outdated since the 1930s um yeah. and there there was like one study uh, i can't remember which institution did it but it showed it it had surveyed like 100 of the most popular femtech menstrual apps out there and it was like none of them were accurate and the best accuracy rating was like 21% <sighs> um and there was another study that looked at like 95 of the free smartphone menstrual tracking apps and mm-hmm. found that none of them could accurately predict your fertility cycle or your ovulation cycle at all.
1: None of them. A waste of time completely. <laughs> right. But
0: women, you know, as women, we're still being targeted by these solutions, yes. right? That are supposed to empower us and supposed to give us autonomy and control over our health. And yet they're mm-hmm. not even accurate. So in, in my mind, those types of solutions do way more damage than what if we never even had them.
1: Mm-hmm. That's true. That's why I'm like, I just stopped using it because I'm like, this isn't working. I'm not even doing this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. This is a really good conversation. So what tips or advice or strategies you can give any fellow female entrepreneur who is trying to break into that business? I think you said a lot of great things in the beginning when it comes to pass get past fear, because I think that's like the major blocker for most female entrepreneurs who are wanting to take that leap. But what else advice or tips you can give them?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would say spend time in the planning phase. Um, One -hmm. thing that I've always had to struggle against is I want to dive in, right? I've got this really cool idea and I want to make it happen. And so for me, actually taking time to slow down and think, how does this play out? What does it look like? Actually, mm-hmm. building a business plan, even though it's going to mm-hmm. take me, you know, a few extra weeks to think about that, all that work I do on the front end is going to pay off dividends in the back end. Um, so yeah. I think also making sure right, that you're slowing down, that you're making sure there's a market fit for whatever solution you're trying to bring. Um, if you're kind of in the um, right, the tech space or the digital health space, I would also recommend. Making sure that you're having conversations and listening to what your consumer base actually wants, because I find Mm -hmm. a lot of times there's a disconnect between what you think they want and what you think their problems are and what their actual problems are. Um, So I recommend just having conversations. Um, I hear a lot of founders say, I don't want to talk about my idea right now because what if somebody steals it? Um, yeah, you know, I think the risk of that is is low whenever you're talking to the right people, and I think you're mm-hmm. going to find people supportive and and also giving you feedback in a way that's going to change your product for the better. So that those are yeah. kind of the um, the two pieces of advice I would say.
1: Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I have a question. I have a few questions myself that I need to ask regarding business. It's not about femtech, <laughs> you know, because you know, as podcasters, you know, we want to. You know, when you just start a podcast, you just start a podcast, right? There's really no business structure to it, I feel like. You just yes. dive in. I didn't do a business structure. But when you think about, hey, it's gonna be, you know, sponsorships and it's gonna be partnerships. Yeah. And then you now you gotta think to yourself, I gotta think about more of the structure of business versus oh, it's just a podcast. Yes. And so I wanted to ask, I'm so glad you're on the show, because I wanted to ask, I was thinking about creating a holding company. Yeah. And I didn't know if that was to to house the podcast and maybe Mm -hmm. some other products that I might want to do. And I wanted to get someone, a lawyer advice and said, is that the route to go? Because I didn't want to do Girl Techno Podcast Incorporated. I didn't think that Mm -hmm. makes sense. You know what I mean? Because I want to do other stuff. But I was like, oh, well, maybe if I create this holding company and maybe however it works, because I really don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking out loud. (laughs) Really? But what are your thoughts on that? Like, what do you, think would be kind of like a good structure when it comes to, you know, people who have podcasts? (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. You know, there's, and there's a couple of different ways to do it. Um, If your podcast is the only thing that you're doing, right. You know, something as Mm -hmm. simple as an LLC, uh, could g- yeah. offer you some protection, right? As the host, if somebody comes and says, Hey, you gave me bad advice on that podcast, I'm going to sue you, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. You have some yeah. protection there, um, you know, because anybody these days can sue anybody for anything. Yeah, um, for anything, so even though it's unlikely, you know, having kind of that little bit of, of a layer. Most people don't have a company for their podcast, right? They're just individuals mm-hmm. doing their own thing, making their podcast. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, they're not worried about kind of, Having a corporate structure, a corporate structure can offer you some protections, um, especially if you ever do get sued. Gosh forbid. Um, you yeah. Know, the other thing to think about is if you are having other services. So I know a couple of people who have podcasts as one of their offerings, um, but they mm-hmm. maybe they do coaching instead, right? Or accelerator programs, or you know, different yeah. things like that. Complementary services. And what I typically see them do is kind of house those services under one overarching company. And they Mm -hmm. can do different, like doing business as DBA names for the different Mm -hmm. side ventures, depending on how many they have and whether or not they want to keep the revenue streams differently. They can kind of do a parent company and affiliated companies. Um, So a lot of different options there, you know, kind of the the yeah. cleanest one is you kind of have, you know, one overarching company, and maybe you've got yeah. some different MBAs, right, but you're you're not necessarily trying to track the income streams, you know, for each product line separately. That's kind of the, the easy structure. If you want to track the yeah. income streams separately for the products, right, having, you know, kind of sub companies or affiliated companies under that overarching company um, has been a pretty
1: mm-hmm. useful model. Okay, so yeah, so then, yeah, I think that's what I'll do. do that overarching because I'm like I want the overarching thing and then just have those underneath it those sub companies underneath it so okay and that's you said that could be that's a doing business ass type of company right
0: right right so and and with DBAs I'm like I don't know
1: what a holding company is a friend told me about and I was like is that what I should do I don't know. So.
0: Well, sometimes with companies too, you know, there can be legal naming conventions that you have to follow, um, especially if you're doing specialized services like medical services or legal services. Um, So a DBA Mm -hmm. is kind of also a way to kind of give you that, that brand name, uh, you know, kind of your trade name, so to speak. Um, So you could do that as well, you know, with a DBA or, you know, some people have different lines of business Um, with each one as like a separate DBA. Um, So lots of different ways to do it or just having separate sub companies.
1: Yeah. Okay, cool. That was good. Now I know. Now it's good to know. I got some information. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Okay, Bethany, listen, this was really great. Now, before we end this show, I asked all my guests that are on the show, what was some of the best advice you received from another woman?
0: Yeah. So, so I have to shout out somebody who I actually knew in high school. Um, So this person, this person is not at all, um, you know, super involved in my life today. But it's something, Mm -hmm. you know, I follow her on LinkedIn, we're friends on Facebook, you know, we went to the same high school, that type of thing. Um, Her name is Her name is Jess Ekstrom. If you don't follow her, she's an incredible motivational speaker
1: Mm. um, and she
0: gives so much advice. She's actually the founder of Headbands of Hope. um, And I just Mm -hmm. want to shout out her constant, you know, optimism and positivity. Um, She's written a book called Chasing the Bright Side. And it's just been really incredible. One of the things she posted, even just today, was a reminder to always make the ask so even mm. if you don't think it's going to work out, even if you don't think something could ever come to fruition, don't be afraid to make the ask, right? Because, and I think the way she phrases it is, a no is not going to be, you know, life ending, but a yes mm-hmm. could be life altering. And I just oh. I love the way that she phrased that. And the story that she gave with it was um, she, you know, travels all over the US uh, to doing these speaking engagements and she was missing yeah. her family. And so, you know, her parents had lived in an RV for a while. And so she thought, you know what, I'd like to have an RV and travel with my family across across the mm-hmm. US while I'm doing these speaking engagements. And she ended up reaching out to Airstream and having conversations with Airstream and ended up being like their 2019 ambassador um, and, and getting oh, wow. an Airstream and traveling across the US. So oh, right, wow. it, it's just kind of the, the reminder that no matter how far-fetched we might think our dreams to be. That no is never going to be life-ending, but that yes could be life-altering, mm-hmm. life that's altering. something that's really stuck with me. And it encourages like me to make that. those ask. Yeah, it encourages me on those days when I don't want to be salesy and make asks, to make the asks. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> to make the ask. I like that. The no is not going to be life-ending, um, but the yes would be life-altering. Oh, yep.
0: I, really I like a that. That, that was good. Kind of
1: motivational speaker out there. That was good. I got to follow her. You got to, I got to get her name again. Um, I got to oh, follow yeah. her. Definitely. This is going to be awesome. This was really great. I'm so glad we had this conversation. I feel like we are going to learn so much more <laughs> because we have this conversation when it comes to FemTech, just business structure and just motivation behind pushing past the fear. I think you did such a great yeah. way of really um, bringing that in and honing it on. Let's push past our fear. Fear shouldn't stop us from doing what we want to do and not being afraid to take that leap because if you didn't, where would you be right now? Right? Exactly stuck somewhere you really really don't want to (laughs) be. Exactly. So I'm so happy we did this. This was awesome. Ah guys, listen, I am Shawnee Sanders. This is the Girl Techno Podcast. And we will talk to you next time. Yay! (laughs) I always gotta do that little pause at the end for my editor.